Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Why, thank you guys. I appreciate that. Turn and high five one person before you're seated and tell them you're better looking than I remember. Just go ahead and tell them that. Let them know that. Awesome. Thank you, band. Appreciate you guys. How do you, how do you guys get out of here? Is it like a trap door? You just magically disappear? How's yeah. I, I was thinking about that a minute ago. I'm like, I wonder how they exit stage left. Oh, there's one over there. Okay. Well, it's good to be in Calgary with you guys. Um, I was here, how many years ago, Pastor Ryan? Four years. Okay, so I, I came in like January last time. And you guys were having a real, like a cold snap winter. And I remember getting off the plane, right? And I'm walking outside to the parking garage and my lungs literally just stoved up. Uh, so yesterday I got out of the plane, it was mid eighties. So I thought, oh, okay, so this is Calgary in the summertime. Note to self, when to come here, yeah. <laughs> Right, so beautiful city, amazing, beautiful city, and it's so good to be with you guys. And, and I'm excited about what God has for you uh, as a church and what God is doing in the earth. Uh, listen, the, the times are short, you know. Paul uh, told Timothy, I think it's first Timothy chapter three, he said, In the last days, perilous times are going to come, terrible times, horrible times. Well, thank you for that prophecy, Paul. You know, you think things are bad now, they're going to get worse, right? Uh, and so there, there is a dynamic that you'll find throughout Scripture, and it's this, that culture is going to continue to decay. Economies are still going to rumble. Uh, wars and rumors of wars, all that Jesus talked about in, in Matthew will take place. And so we see this in the earth right now. It's a volatile time. But here's our great hope. I don't know if they reminded you, but Jesus said he was going to build his church in the midst of all of it, and the, the gates of hell would not be able to withstand the offensive movement of the church. So while things are shaky, and by the way, if you run out of things to pray for, pray for California. We need some help down there, and uh, there's so much going on, but we're seeing God move in the earth, and so the Holy Spirit is moving. Isaiah made this prophecy. He said, darkness would be on the earth and deep darkness upon the people, but you arise and shine, for your light is, has come, and the glory of the Lord will be risen upon you, and he's talking about the people of God. So what we're seeing in California with all that's falling apart and going on in our state, we're seeing symptoms and signs of true revival. The church is alive and well. People are coming to Christ at an unprecedented rate. And God is moving wherever I get to travel. I'm just seeing the church is alive and well and thriving and growing. How many of you still believe God's going to move in a big way in Canada? All right. God, God is going to move in this country and you get to be a part of it. I, I want to share for just a few minutes and I want to make sure I got an eye on the clock here. I'm very sensitive to the clock at home because we do all these multiple services. And if I preach too long, someone just gently comes to the stage and drags me off to the left. So if that happens, Pastor, I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, by the way, I just want to honor your pastors and uh, um, Andrew and Brittany and uh, your team here. You, you have an amazing team. We met last night and talked about the future. And I know a church has a great hope in the future when you look at their core team.
and say, here's healthy people that have a heart for God. They have a heart for their city. And so this is a healthy church. You're in a good place and, and God's going to be, God, God's going to be moving in your life. I want to take a few minutes and I want to talk to you uh, about living a life in the presence of God and being a church of the presence of God. And what God is, is building is around his presence and around this principle. You know, when the church started in Acts chapter one, Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. Uh, but before you go, wait. Go wait. And what did he say? I want you to wait for power. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you're going to be my witnesses. Those that have a message they're carrying uh, to the ends of the earth. So the church started with people waiting in the presence of God and then going out from that place to influence the world. I, I tell you what people are not looking for. They're not looking for another dead religion. They're not looking for a denomination or an organization or a club to join. Hungry souls are looking for something that is alive with the presence of God, a relationship with Jesus. And that's what the church was intended and built to be. Amen. And that's who we are. So God is building something, and we're, we're just glad to be partnering with you guys. I may not read all these verses, just a shout out to the media people. We'll just see where the Holy Spirit leads us. But, but I, I want to tell you that what, what we're doing here with Love City Church now, the Father's House Calgary, which is so exciting, uh, is truly a, a partnership. And, and here's what I've seen in the Word. God works through partnerships. He works through groups of people. It's never about one guy on a stage with a microphone. It's about God bringing together a team of people. You know, Jesus, he's walking with his disciples and he said this, he said, the harvest is ready right now, but who's, who's missing the team, the laborers, the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers or workers into the field to build the kingdom of God. And who's the workers? Who's the team? That's you elbow your neighbor and just say, I think he's talking about you right now. We're the ones that get to partner with God to do something for eternity. Uh, and, and there's no more fulfilling life. And let me just mention a little bit of my testimony. You know, I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to seminary. Being a pastor was not a career choice for me. I was a broken, rebellious kid that was raised in church and ran from God and got deeply involved in, in drugs and addiction and alcohol back in the, the 70s and early 80s. And when I came to the Lord, I was a broken mess, disillusioned. But here's what I did. I said, Lord, whatever's in my life, whatever I have, I'm available. Now that's who God uses in the world. Uh, by the way, just to encourage you, since that time I did go to seminary and Bible college and I, I read a couple of books just in case I was going to need some information. But it, it's not the qualifications and the standard that man looks at. It's a heart that says, God, I'm available and I say yes to you. And so I, I do what I do and I get, I get to see a lot of amazing things around the world simply because I kept giving God my yes and maybe that's for you today. You don't know what your next step is. I would just strongly encourage you to say, yes, Jesus. When you don't even know what the question is yet, just the answer is yes. And he will move you into a brilliant life. So building the church and, and advancing the kingdom of God has always been about partnership. And uh, I'll look at this verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul said, I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. 
And it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants, the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work for we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. So here's the way it works at, at Love City Church, soon to be the Father's house. Pastor Ryan and Stephanie came and they planted some seed. When did you guys start? Eight years ago? seven years ago. And I'm sure there were seeds of tears and financial investment and your dreams going, God, it's all about you. And you, you planted some precious seed, but it's never just about the planter. And then pastor uh, Andrew and Brittany come along and they begin to water that seed. And the team I met with last night were watering that seed, but it's God who causes the church to grow. Because listen, at the end of the day, what we're about is all about what Jesus is building. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a church. You know, right now it is, a, it is an interestingly dark time in California. Our politics, our finances, our cities are falling apart. San Francisco is a mess. It's a train wreck right now. There's a lot that's going horribly wrong. But do you know, at the same time, listen, at the same time, we're seeing an unprecedented outpouring of the Holy Spirit and people coming to Christ. It's, it's amazing what's going on. Why? Because the church cannot be stopped. And I would encourage you, if you want your life to have stability, longevity, and always moving in a direction of increase, then be a part of, on, be a, part of a kingdom and on a foundation that's unshakable. When my life is built upon Jesus, I understand this. Even though things are falling apart and politically or culturally or financially, my life is established on Christ because he said he will build his church. Now, the way he builds his church is he calls us to, to walk with him and to live in his presence. And, and that's my story. I, when I came to Christ, I simply, I met him for who he is. I had an encounter with him. I remember one night I, I had it for the car buffs. I had a 55 Chevy that was fully restored. This was a sick automobile, people. And I, you know, I had the 327, the tuck and roll and the, the speakers and the deal. And it was just, it was an amazing ride. And I was headed out one night to party, because that's what you did on a, I don't forget what night it was, but that's pretty much what we did every night. It's like, was it Saturday? It didn't matter. And I remember I'm in my car, and I got, I got the rock and roll crank to 11, as you do, and the Holy Spirit came into my vehicle. Now, let me just say, the Holy Spirit's not afraid of your music, your lifestyle. He'll just invade any place, and I'm driving along in my 55 Chevy rocking, you know, and God shows up, and he starts to whisper to my heart, and he asked me this question. He said, Dave, what are you doing? I have a call upon your life, and, and I remember his presence filling that car in such a way, so I turned down Leonard Skinner, <laughs> and said, I, pull, I had to pull over my car, and it was the presence of God that arrested me. It was a visitation from God. And so I believe that is what God has called this church to be is a place in the middle of Calgary where the presence of God is recognized and known and where people encounter the reality of who he is. You know, 27 years ago, I'd been a worship pastor. I was a little disillusioned with church and ministry as you get, even when you're in the middle of it. And I was seeking the Lord and I was sitting out in a field in, in my car and I was praying, God, what do you have for my future? And the Lord, through a season of seeking him, he began to speak to me, said, I want you to build a house where people encounter my presence. Keep it simple and make the, those far from me the main thing. Because life is short. Eternity is real. People matter most. 
And so I said, God, I, I will do it. And he said, I want, the Lord began to speak to me about planting a church. Now listen, I didn't want to do that. I was a reluctant leader. And here's a word for somebody. Many times the very thing that God's called, calling you to do is the last thing on your agenda and the thing that you'll push back on, but yet there's something he knows is inside of you that he wants to call out. And again, he's just looking for your yes. And so I'm, I'm in my car and I tell the Lord, God, I don't want to do this, man. I don't want to be a lead pastor. I don't want to be one of those guys. That's not my thing. But Lord, whatever you say, I will follow you. And so then the Lord allowed me to negotiate with him a bit. I said, well, God, if I do this, I just want to do it one time. I want to be a church planner one time. I only want to be a lead pastor in one place. And if you'll grace me, and we plan in this no-name town called Vacaville of all places. In case you're wanting, the translation is Cowtown. Yes, I'm from Cowtown. I'll stay in Cowtown for the rest of my ministry days. And the Lord said, I will do that. And he said, I'll allow you to, to live all your ministry years here. And then the second negotiation was, God, then I want your presence to be upon us. I want it to be a place not about religion or dogma or doctrine or programs. I want people to walk in and encounter you. That your presence would go with us. Okay? So there's this portion of scripture which became a life verse for our church. Exodus chapter 33. So in Exodus 33, God is talking to Moses and he says, Hey, I'm finally going to lead you into your inheritance. You get to go into the promised land. That's really good news. But then right on the end of the good news, God says, but I can't go with you or I'd have to kill you on the way. How I many you know that's really bad news connected to the good news? He said, you're a rebellious, stiff-necked people. Now you get to go into your inheritance, but I can't go or I'd have to kill you along the way. But Moses intercedes and he says this. He says, Lord, that's scary. I'm behind me. Okay. Can we get a picture of a flower or something? Um, seriously. Um, <laughs> He says, God, I don't want to go without your presence. And, and then he prays this prayer. He says, Lord, if you don't go with us, what else will distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said, I will go with you and I'll give you rest. And so God's presence moved with his people. And that has been our story for 27 years. My wife and I and three couples in the living room with one acoustic guitar singing Kumbaya, my Lord, uh, to all of a sudden we outgrew the living room and then the elementary school and the community center. And then we bought land and we bought a shopping center. And the story goes on and on and on. But it's all always been about this. God, don't lead us up from here without your presence. Because what else will distinguish us from all the other organizations, denominations, and people groups on the earth? What makes us different than the Elks Lodge or the average cult down the street? You know what it is? It's the manifestation. Well, of course, our doctrine's accurate, but everybody says that. <laughs> hey, we're right. No, we're right. No, you're not right. We're right. Everybody argues about their dogma and their doctrine. Here's the distinguishing factor. The church of the living God is the only place that has the witness of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God upon what we do. And that's what Moses was praying. He says, what else will distinguish us or set us apart from all the other people, groups in the earth? So God says, I will go with you. And that's been our story for 27 years. I've had these testimonies year after year, and it's this. People come into our church, and they start crying during worship. 
And they're like, I'm not a crier, but I cried the first three times. Or I came in, I felt something I couldn't explain. And I've had people, you know, we get a lot of new agers and cults and different things. And like, hey, I don't know what it is. There's an aura here. There's energy. There's a vibe. I'm like, yes, his name's the Holy Spirit. May I introduce you to him? And it's this dynamic of the presence of God. And I want to give you two things for your life today that will help you regarding the presence of God. The first one is this. That the presence of God gives us accurate perspective of our future. I don't know what you're walking through, but I, I guarantee this. You need God's perspective and not yours. Maybe right now you're in a financial crisis or you're in a directional crisis and you're not sure and you're hearing the voices of culture, which really get loud and the voices of politics, which are very loud in America and the voices and the influences all around us. And many times our perspective gets skewed in such a way that we really don't know which way to go next. We're like, God, I'm just failing to find the clarity that I need. But in his presence, there is clarity. And that's why we worship. That's why we invite people, because in his house, things make sense. I don't know if they informed you of this, but you were created and designed to live in his presence forever. Here's a thesis I'll drop on you. Your best life is lived in closest proximity to Jesus. The best version of you, the best version of your future is found in nearness to God. In fact, when the consummation, the cultivation of that will be this, that one day we'll be like him because we'll see him face to face. And when we stand before him, it says in the book of Revelation, there will be no more sickness or fear or pain. And he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be a day where our, our, our beings are totally complete when we are in his unfiltered presence. But right now we can live in proximity. We can come close to him. There's this guy in the Old Testament. He was actually a worship leader, like our, our, our guy up on stage here. And Asaph would lead the choir. He would lead the worship team. But he got outside the presence of God. And, and as he got away from the presence on Mount Zion, uh, his perspective got a little bit skewed. And I want to read you a few verses out of Psalm 73. He, he wrote this song, by the way. This is a song. He said, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me... I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. I was almost gone for I envied the proud. Look at this. When I saw them prosper despite their wickedness, they seem. Okay, so he's, he's, his focus is on the wrong thing and he comes to some wrong conclusions. When the focus of your life is on the wrong people, the wrong things, the wrong target, you will draw some wrong conclusions and because he has an inaccurate conclusion of the wicked, which would be culture for us. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. How many you know this is not accurate information? It's simply his perspective. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. And he goes on for like 10 verses talking about how the wicked get all the breaks. They get the good job, the fast car, the pretty girl, whatever he said. And really, if you study the Psalms, this was set to a musical genre. I believe he was singing the blues. He's like, he's just singing, oh God, the wicked are prospering. I'm going to church. I can't afford to buy myself lunch. He's just singing the blues. He goes on, verse 12. Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. And then he comes to this conclusion. I'm wasting my time pursuing God. 
I'm wasting my time going to his house. I'm wasting my time giving and serving. He frames it this way. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. You can tell the trajectory of your life based on the confession of your mouth. If my confession is not gratitude and praise, I'm headed in the wrong direction. And he began to complain and talk about the, you know, how the wicked were prospering. And now my life is painful. His perspective was so warped. But then one of my favorite verses in scripture is Psalm 73, verse 17. First he says, I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but it was a difficult task. Look at this. Until I went into your sanctuary, O God, and then I understood. I went into your sanctuary, oh God, and then I understood. Something happened. Listen, when he walked into the presence of God. Now, the sanctuary of God during Asaph's time was not the tabernacle of Moses. You guys know the tabernacle of Moses. There was a veil between the common people and the Holy of Holies. There was a lot of incense and bells and smells and all, you know, priesthood stuff going on. But the commoners, the regular folk, never went into the presence of God. But when David captured back the Ark of the Covenant after they lost it in the days of Saul, he took it up to Mount Zion and he put the Ark of the Covenant right in the center of a tent. It was a prophetic move. He removed all the veils, all the restrictions. So when people climbed up Mount Zion and they walked into the tabernacle of David, there was the very essence and presence of God right in the center of the people. It was this prophetic leap into the New Testament. Well, that's where Asaph played his little six-string harp and worshiped God, was right before the very presence of God. And he said, outside of that place, my life didn't make sense. I'm looking at the wicked. Uh, they're prospering. I'm not getting the raises. It's not coming together for me. Have I served God in vain? Am I going to church in vain? Am I tithing and serving in vain? His perspective was skewed because he was out of proximity to the presence of the one who loved him. But then he said, man, one day, Lord, I came into your presence and everything made sense. Let me just tell you, your life will make sense in his presence. Your marriage, your business, your gifting. You know, there's people that come in and out of churches all the time. And we have all these campuses and thousands of people. And every time I stand on our stage and, you know, I'm preaching to cameras, of course, but I'm preaching to a couple thousand people in the room. And I understand this. Most of the people in this room have dormant gifting they have not discovered. They have calling and gifting. And so they're living a life. They're working the nine to five and doing the deal and doing the vacation and trying to buy the extra car, get the kids to college, scramble around, gerbils on the wheel. All the while, there's a calling and a gifting. The, the word tells us in Romans and Corinthians that each one of you have been uniquely gifted. And that thing on the inside that God's designed you for, until you discover it and develop it, life does not really make sense. But here's what happens when I come into his presence. Like, oh, oh, I was designed for this. I was designed to live close to my Savior. I was designed to hear his voice and feel his love and, and be just completely healed in his presence. When that happens, I understand something. Oh, you know, I was, a, I was like the introvert of introverts. I'm the youngest of all my siblings. And for great sport, my older brothers and sisters used to just beat me down. Does that still happen in most families? I think it does. 
And so the last thing, I, I was not the kid in any class growing up that wanted to be on stage or seen or heard, but I had something in deep in my spirit that God put there. It was a gift of leadership. I didn't even know it was there. And I'm just going along living my life. But when I came to Christ and I got free of my addictions and off the drugs and begin to follow him and study his word, something began to rise up in me that I was unaware of. And the same thing will happen to you and thousands of people that will come to Love City slash the Father's house in the future. They'll have an undeveloped gift in their life and the Holy Spirit will say, come close. I'm going to call something out of you. See, I believe even in this small room and this group of people, there's artists that are not creating art. There's writers that are not writing, singers that are not singing, teachers that are not teaching, entrepreneurs that have yet to build a business for the glory of God. And when I come into his presence, I realize, oh, that's the reason I'm designed like I'm designed. And so to live in his presence. The second thing, and this will wrap up with this, the power and presence of God is what produces this. Above all we can ask or imagine in our lives. Now, a few Bible readers, you ever read in the Word and then you read a verse, you're like, oh, stop. That's too good to be true. You ever read a, a verse of Scripture and think, ah, not really? Like Jesus said, ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. Oh, really? Will you? I mean, you ever read the Bible and think, is this just filler? Is this like fluff? Like Ephesians 3, 20, 21, last verse I'll read you. This is not just a salutation by the Apostle Paul going, hey, Paul out, God bless. He says, now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think. Infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams. Look at this. According to his power that is at work within us. Look at that line there. It's bold on my notes. I'm going to walk back here. According to his power that is at work within us. In other words, equivalent to, in direct proportion to the working of his power and his presence in our life. God says, I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. I don't know about you, but I got a pretty vivid imagination. I could see God doing some great stuff in my life. I could see God just hooking me up with some great and amazing things. But am I willing to live in a place of presence and proximity because it's in his presence where his power is infilling my life that I begin to step into the exceedingly abundantly more than I could ask or imagine? Just saying there's more to this life. There, there's more that God, I, I drove through the streets of your city yesterday and we got to tour downtown and drive around and, and it's a massive city, by the way. I live in a really small town comparatively and I'm like, this place is enormous. But dream with me for a minute. What if God has thousands of people within 15 minutes of this location that he says, I'm drawing them. I want to add them to my family and I want to use you to introduce them. I want to use you to disciple them. What if God has something so big in his heart for your life and for this church that we can't even imagine it? It's far beyond what we can grasp until the Holy Spirit brings this revelation. Let me give you one example, and there's been so many, but a few years back, I'm seeking the Lord, trying to build a church, trying to follow the Holy Spirit, and God begins to put on my heart uh, a burden for those in our prison systems. And, uh, you know, in Matthew 25, by the way, just a heads up, you're all going to stand before God and give an account. Every one of us. 
Never forget that. There will be a day when he will judge the living and the dead. And we will stand before the king of the universe, the creator of everything. And we will give an account what we've done with our body, our time, our finances, our family. And as we stand there, he's separating the sheep from the goats. Those who know him on the right, those who don't on the left. And those who know him go into an eternal reward. And he says, he says this in Matthew 25. He said, I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was hungry and you fed me. I was a stranger. You took me in. I was a prisoner and you came and visited me. Enter into the joy set before you. And they said, Lord, when did we do that? I don't remember doing that. He said, whenever you did it to the disenfranchised, the least, the unrecognized. And so God began to give me a heart for our inmates in our prison system. We had some prison ministry going on at a couple campuses, very low level. But God said, I want you to pursue this. You know what it was? It was a door. The way God moves in your life is he opens doors that you haven't walked through yet. First door is the door of salvation. Just walk in and say, Jesus, I need you as a savior. I give you my yes. And then you will find yourself on a path of doorways that God says, walk through this door. And every time you step through a door, the working of the power of God begins to do the exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. Now, Fast forward, we got some prison ministry going on, a few things happening. The pandemic era hits. March of 2020, the world shuts down. And so our team was quick, our media team was quick, and we produced a 30-minute program for our inmates so they could be fed the Word of God. And we contacted our three prisons that we were in. They all said, yes, you can show it on the air. And so now we're, we're showing a program in three prisons on Sunday. Fast forward. I get a call, word gets out. I get a call from the director of all the prisons in California two weeks before Easter. And she says, this is my name. I, I'm the director over all media at all prisons, 35 state penitentiaries. We've seen your program. Would you be interested because of, of the pandemic? We don't have any religious programming for all the prisons this Easter. Would the Father's House be interested in showing your program in all the prisons on Easter Sunday? And I said, let me pray, yes. And on Easter Sunday of 2020, while the world was shut down, we broadcast the gospel in all 35 prisons. Fast forward, they invited us to be the programming on a weekly basis. Fast forward, we, it, our program shows uh, on prime time on three different stations in every state pen in, in California every day of the week. Fast forward, we just opened our 10th campus, live campus. Now. I, all glory to God. It wasn't my genius. It wasn't leadership genius whatsoever. It wasn't a brilliant strategy. It was like stepping through a door by living in his presence, which began to do abundantly above all I could ask or imagine. Stepping through another door, stepping through another door. And I'm saying that's God's design for this church. It's God's design for his life. I, I can't believe what God has done with my broken, messed up life. I really can't. But you know why he's done it? It's not my qualifications. It's not my charisma, my intellect, my education, none of those things. It's simply this. God, I said, I'm going to live a life in your presence. And Lord, every time you open a new door, by your grace, I'm going to walk through it. And if this church will make a stand to go, God, we're going to keep moving through doors. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. 
It hasn't even entered into the heart of men, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. It's exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or imagine according to the working of his spirit in you. And I'll just prophesy right now because I drove through your city. God's desire for this church is to expand and multiply. And this small room we're in, it won't hold the people that God's going to bring. The next room and the next room, not for grandiosity, not for, hey, you know, our name and we're a big deal and we're a big church. No, there's enough of those. There's enough big churches that are not leading people into the presence. What God is looking for is a people that are sold out to worship him and to welcome his presence into their city. Because I, I guarantee you, Calgary needs the same thing that California needs. And it's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's the love of Jesus that heals broken people. It's the expression of his church. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. What Calgary needs is a light that's shining so brightly that it can't be ignored. I'll wrap up with this thought. The church was never designed to be cloistered away in buildings with stained glass and organs and a few religious people going through format. The church has always been designed to be irresistible, unavoidable, and to turn cities upside down. And if God can find a group of people that says, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that influences and affects a region. We've been praying for revival in California for 27 years. And guess what? We're not going to stop. Just this year, they broke an all-time record, a place called Pirate's Cove in Southern California where the Jesus Revolution began uh, 50 years ago. There were more people baptized in one day than any baptism service in the history of the church, period. 8,000 people or some ridiculous number were baptized at one setting in one place. So while darkness is increasing, the presence of God is coming and the church is thriving. I'm telling you, the church is alive and well in the earth. Does anybody actually believe that God wants to move in Calgary, Canada, of all places? I want to see a bunch of Canadians dancing and praising God and empowered by the Spirit. And the main thing is this, that broken people come to Him. That's why we're here. That's why I'm here. I'm all about it. I'm not about my reputation. I'm not about my, my label or brand. I'm not looking for you to follow me on Instagram. I'm looking for one day when I stand before my King and he looks and he says, ah, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in and I'll take all my crowns, which means your titles. They're not literal like Burger King crowns. They're, they're literal levels of authority, reputations. And it says, we'll take all the adulation, all, all that stuff, and we'll throw it at his feet. We'll say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. That's my life. I pray that's your life. I pray that's the life of this church. Just keep giving God your yes. You'll be stunned. You'll be amazed. There'll be days where it takes more faith than you got, more money than you got. It's bigger than you can imagine. But if you just say, Lord, I don't know what getting out of this boat does. I don't know how it ends, but I'm, I'm just gonna, you said come and I'm, I'm, I'm stepping out. When you live that kind of life, when you get in your mid sixties like me, you'll look back and you'll think no regrets. And we all have regrets, don't we? 
If you got some, bring them to the cross. You will never regret investing your life, your time, your talent, your finances in the thing that Jesus gave his life for. And that's his church. He's coming back for his church. He's building his church. That's who we are. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this community. Thank you for your, your heart for Calgary. Thank you for what you want to do in this nation. You haven't forgot about Canada with its massive, massive chunk of real estate and limited population and all the natural resources and beauty, the conservative edge that they have and all that Canada is. Lord, you love this nation. You love this city. You love the people in it. So, Father, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit. Just pray you'd agree with me on this as I pray. Father, I, I pray for this community and this church that it would be a place known for your presence, a place known where people come out of darkness into light. Father, we pray your grace be upon the future of the Father's House, Calgary. Pray over Pastor Andrew and Brittany today as they take the lead role in this house. I pray great grace be on them. I pray you expand our minds. Let me just pray this over you right now. I believe the Lord wants to do this on a personal level. I know we're praying for the church. Right now, I'm praying for you. There's a version of you that you haven't seen yet. There's a version of your marriage, of your business, of your gifting. And the Lord is tapping you on the heart right now and saying, son, daughter, I want you to look deep in your heart. I'm stirring something up. I want to use you. So Father, I just pray for that revelation to be upon the room. Show us what you have for us. Use us in these last days. In the last days, perilous times will come. But during those days, you're going to pour your spirit out on all flesh. And you're going to build a church. It's unavoidable. It's irresistible. It's beautiful. Thank you that you're doing it here in this city. With your heads bowed, before we wrap up the service, just take a moment. The Holy Spirit's here. And it's a moment of privacy. Our heads are bowed, so you can have some time just between you and Jesus. But before I, I leave the stage, I would ask, is there anybody here? And you would say, you know what, Pastor Dave, I'm hearing this message today, but I'm not actually following God right now. I, I couldn't say I'm right with God. And that moment you described where I stand before him and give an account, I'm not ready for that moment, but I want to be. I, I want to be right with Jesus. And today... I don't know how all the answers, I don't know how it works, but I just want to say, Jesus, I want to be right with you. Be Lord of my life. With heads bowed, if that's you, would you just look up at me and wave? If that's you, you're saying, I'm coming home or today's my day. Don't be shy. It's between you and the Lord. If there's anybody in the room, Father, thank you today that you're drawing people to yourself. Thank you for these that are making a decision in this moment. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to draw us for those of you that are responding today, I'm going to just pray a simple prayer and you can agree in your heart and repeat this after me just in your spirit. You don't have to say it out loud, but Lord, I know I need you. I need a savior. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God sent to this earth as an infant, lived a sinless life. You died on a cross for the atonement of sin to forgive us of our brokenness. And after three days, you came out of that tomb and that tomb is empty to this day. I believe that you're coming back for your church. And Jesus, I'm asking you to be Lord and Savior of my life from this day forward. I wanna live for you. I wanna live in your presence in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. I love you guys. It's good to be with you today.